I want you to walk in liberty, not because you live in the United States of America, although our religion really could resonate with the themes that have driven this country, but the liberty I'm talking about is far more valuable than the right to vote for whoever gets to mess it up next. The liberty that Christianity gives is the liberty of a man. Ladies, this counts for you, but bear with me in the story of a man who walks into every room in every place in the world with his head held high. Because he knows he's a son of the living God. And that is the promise of liberty given to all of you, not just guys, girls, children. Because to be in the kingdom is to be of another level altogether, to be set apart from this world. And frankly, it needs to be said to be better than non-Christians. You're called better than non-Christians. That's the gospel. Jesus saves you. That makes you different. Does that mean you're perfect or you can look down on other people or like think it's all about you? No, that would be to continue in the stupidity of sin. To understand that a Christian is better than a non-Christian is simply to believe a Christian has God to pray to and the non-Christian doesn't. Non-Christian calls out to the wind and the sky. It was beautiful this morning. I got up before dark. I could see the whole sky. I saw little clusters I could never see. I didn't even have my glasses on. And I thought, dear God, is he powerful, big, mighty, and he's on my side. I will walk at liberty. Now, Psalm 119 has that language. I will walk at liberty. I commend to you verses 41 to 48. Perhaps consider reading them this week. It is my devotional commitment going forward this year to, I'm not doing more. I'm taking a little a log out of my structure of devotions and I'm putting another one in. So I'm taking out eight verses of Psalm 119 that I say every day. Ma'am is the section. And I'm going to put in instead uh, verses 41 to 48. That's Vav. Why? Well, saying them every day, you begin to memorize them. I'm going to update my memory work. That's my commitment to you as your pastor. I'm, I'm doing more than that, but it's, it's really a valuable one so that my memory work will include, include me saying every day, I will walk at liberty for I know God's word. And that that will be the attitude and the spirit that I seek to live in and preach in among you so that it can be yours too. So the liberty that you have of being bonded to Jesus Christ by blood yoke, never to be removed, allows you again to walk into every single situation, every single emotion, every single trauma, every single tragedy, every single news story with your held, held, head held high. And you've been made to stand firm. You are upright in God. And when you speak, because you have studied the text of the Bible, you will not be a fool. You will be set apart. Now, James talks about this life all the way through the book. And James is a book that has just been abused, right? People, people say all sorts of things about James. It's really not fair. Um, and, I, and I can't get into all that this morning because I just want to touch the verses that are in the bulletin. So if you can find James in your own Bible, that's great. A uh, few Bibles there for you, but the bulletin's good enough today too, if you can get there. And we're just going to look at these verses. Remember, James is 
I think, I mean, you can argue, I guess, but James is the earliest New Testament writing that we have. It's the first book before the Gospels, right? Jesus did all this stuff in the Gospels before James writes, but James writes probably during the persecution of Herod that is in early Acts, Acts, Acts 6 to 9 in there, something like that. As there's a, Stephen is killed and everyone's scattered into northern Israel, Galilean areas, you know, Christians are spreading out. James writes to them. And these Christians, they're not Greek-speaking Jews. They're Jewish Jews. These are, these are Hebrew, Aramaic, worshiping Jews that James is writing to in Greek. That's interesting. Um, in Greek, uh, in order to encourage them to stay in the way. Uh, the followers of the way is what they called themselves, right? Christians show up in Antioch uh, later, right? So James is writing before that, and he's encouraging them only to continue in what everyone knows to be true. There's nothing in James that makes Paul not true or takes away salvation by grace alone or anything like that. There is in James a great deal of encouragement to not be an idiot as you practice your religion. He talks like a man who is wise and expects you to know the difference between a condemnation and a warning. Don't do this thing. Well, I've always done that. Therefore, I'm condemned. I will be allowed to do that. Listen, that that's stupid, right? Versus don't do this thing. Oh, I've done that before, but the Bible says it's wrong. Maybe that's why my life isn't good. Maybe I should change it just because it says so. I, I'm not going to share the actual proverb, but I have a vivid memory of reading Proverbs when I was 18, 19. I read the whole Bible, not in a year, but I got through it. I remember Proverbs a lot, though. And I remember a very specific proverb that just struck me because it was so plain. It was like, if a person does this, don't trust that person. It just said that. I was like, that's interesting. And I asked somebody who I trusted about it. And I said, what do you think of this? And they said, oh, no, that can't be true. Now, this was a Christian. This was a person that was a mentor in my life. This is a person who I would go to for encouragement and aid and to believe in Christ. And the proverb's just wrong, I guess. But I found in my life, if I pay attention to what it says, and when I see a person who acts this certain way, if I don't trust them, I found I don't get hurt as much by that person later proving to be a liar, which is what it says they will be. It's kind of amazing how it's that clear, right? The text is that clear. It doesn't take a philosophy degree to understand it the way Paul can, okay? The New Testament can take a, a historical philosophy degree to get into parts of it. Yeah? Uh, Proverbs, not so much. And then James, not so much. James is just straight up. Like, oh, don't do this, don't do that. It's pretty straightforward. No, you're not saved by what you do, dummy. God is God. He's your savior, but now, if, if you find that being saved, knowing God is your God, that you continue to make bad decisions in your life. Verse 5, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. You know what that means? That means, like, you can literally have just done the most evil stupidest thing you've done in your entire life. And if you just say, Jesus, have mercy, he goes, absolutely. But while you're sitting there saying, it wasn't wrong, it wasn't wrong, I should be able to get this right, well, he's just going to let it get worse, right? He gives liberally and without reproach. Jesus does not respect your person. He loves you. 
He loves you as a person. He has chosen you to be his person, and he will therefore lavish you with whatever is good that you ask for. When you ask for evil, he says no. But look at the love he has lavished upon us that we should be called the sons of God. And yes, so we are. 1 John 3. So if you if you don't have wisdom, ask God. He's going to give it to you. It's a promise. Take it to the bank. Test him. I mean, don't test God, right? That's bad. But try him. Let him temper you. Verse 6, but let him ask in faith with no doubting, for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. And if you're a good Lutheran, you can really do a number on yourself with that no doubting thing. Because if you're trying to like, have faith with no doubting to prove to your inner heart how good a Christian you are, yeah, the second use of the law is going to tear you up. If you're never allowed to have a doubt your whole life, after becoming a you're going to just tear yourself up with that. So Paul's, or Peter, <laughs> James, is <laughs> not saying like, may you never have a doubt or else. What he's saying is, since you're going to go to the Bible to read it, why don't go in believing God's for you, not against you? Go in believing that it is what it says, it does what it says, and it can be trusted. Rather than go in sort of like, well, I'll see if I like it. I'll, I'll try some of it. You know, but I'm not so sure about those parts that people talk about. I don't know about those parts. So, but I'll see. Like, if you do that, then don't expect to get anything. Expect to get less Bible, right? Less truth, less wisdom. Don't expect that. But, but if you go to the scriptures, just trust me. Oh, this is God's word. This is actually authentically today the bread for you in your soul to eat. Well, then, then the promise is just a promise. Right? There's, no, there's no limit on that promise. Yeah. You will not be driven by the waves of the sea and tossed about. You will not be. Because the words that last forever will be your harbor, even in the storm. Yeah, uh, uh, He does say, verse 7, you know, let not a man suppose he will receive anything from the Lord if he's going to be double-minded, right? He's a double-minded man and stable in all his ways. And it talks about that double-mindedness. You might think of uh, hypocrisy. This is the word for double-minded. Um, you might think of that uh, as you look at then verse 23, right? That hypocrisy, double-mindedness is like not knowing what you look like after you've looked in a mirror. And this is something I think is unavoidable, even though you probably can call up a picture of yourself right now and like think, oh, I look like this, right? After you got done in the mirror this morning, you didn't like turn and walk away with a vision of yourself in front of you the whole way you went, right? Like it just was gone and you're making coffee or you're doing breakfast or, you know, you're doing your thing. You, you forget what you look like. It's not what you think about, right? And so well, what he's saying here is if someone reads the Bible and then goes, well, not that part, well, then that's how their experience of the Bible will be like. They just, they'll just forget everything. They won't even know what they're doing. So if you're, if you're going to look into the mirror of the scriptures, expect something out of it, yeah? And when it says, hey, don't turn left at intersection X because it's bad, well then, hey, don't turn left at intersection X. It's bad, right? It's, it is that clear. It really is. Yeah. And then he goes on to say, uh, verse 24, you know, uh, verse 25, but he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues it in it, and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work will be blessed in what he does. 
uh, you know, again, a Lutheran fear can zoom in on doer of the work. And I will make sure we know this isn't about justification. Okay. On judgment day, it's not about how much work you did in order to see if Jesus loves you. It's not what he's saying. He's saying, if you take the word God says and you put it where it says it goes, it will grow. It, it, it just does what it does. It works. Yeah. Um, and so being a doer of the word, it doesn't mean like racking up points with God. It means when the word is true, you believe it, you love it, you, you chase it a little bit. Yeah. And he calls this the law of liberty again. Don't miss that. He's calling the whole Old Testament a rule book that's not filled with rules to follow, but the reign and rule of the king who is filled with grace and mercy and truth and beauty. And, and even when we turned our backs on him, he knew that and did that too, so we could be his. That liberty, that freedom of the sons of God before our bodies are revealed, but our souls already redeemed to speak and talk differently than the rest of the world, to expect differently than the rest of the world. Right? Um, this is the blessing that we have. That when you put the seed of the word of God into your life, you will find the word of God in your life. And that's never not a blessing. The scriptures always bear fruit. I mean, you can make it this simple. I, I put it in a note that ended up on the front of my desk after a bunch of review this last week. And I was really happy for this note. It made me feel good to reread it. and share with you again. It's very simple. It said, the only thing guaranteed to last out of this century is the Bible. It's the only thing guaranteed to last out of this century. But the Bible is guaranteed to last out of this century. So you want to have stuff you build last out of this century? Guess what? Yeah, stick the Bible in it. Watch it stick. Watch it be firm while everything else is doing this all around. Yeah. Walk at liberty. Um, verse 26 is a good warning before we go on to the, the other text. Uh, if anyone among you thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his own heart, this one's religious is, religion is useless. So the, the liberty that the Christian has to walk into every room with the head held high is connected to the belief that nobody in that room can say anything to you that you won't be able to answer because you will always have the Bible with you. You will always have your faith with you. And the promises again and again are that these words will be given to you in the proper time. Now, take James, though. It doesn't mean flying out of the sky by a lightning bolt. It means as you read the Bible, the Bible becomes part of how you think. As it becomes how of how you think, it becomes part of what you say. As it becomes part of what you say, it becomes part of what other people hear, think, and say around you. And before you know it, there is more Bible around you than there is scary stories about aliens and zombies and witches and whatever else is going to blow up on the other side of somewhere. The word that is in you is the peace and the calm and the storm of all the stories of darkness that this world throws at you. And in that then... The power to control your story with your own tongue is what James admonishes to you here as a Christian, as a disciple. He says, okay, you want to you see Christianity work in your life? Then talk about it. That's it, right there, talk about it. But I don't feel like I can. Aha, ask for wisdom. And I go back, read this text again. But 
let your tongue be disciplined. And, and notice the bridling of the tongue means maybe before you figure out what proverb is the appropriate one to quote randomly because someone said something and you're like, oh, proverb, boom. Right? Before that, the first thing you're going to do is just stop talking. Like as everyone else is talking, you just kind of kind of stop and listen to what they're saying and think, can this be holy? It really is the first question because some things that we talk about just can't be. They're, just, they're, they're profane. They're useless. They're worldly. doesn't mean we don't do them necessarily. I'm not calling it sin, right? I'm just saying that it isn't holy. It's not, it's not set apart. So if you're going to make your conversation holy, set apart, the first thing to do is just stop shoving your automatic responses into it because chances are, since you're a human, which means you're a sinner, your automatic responses, when they're not founded on the Bible, are going to bring shame, fear, doubt, and all sorts of other stuff into your life. It's what we do. Article 2, Oxford Confession, sin, right? You've heard the word. It's not, not that tough. It's hard to believe, though, that what I want when I say it is probably like salting the fields and casting darkness on everything. It's hard to believe that about me, I mean, it's easy to believe about all you, right? But, but me, I, I try hard, right? So, so we get into this mindset with ourselves, uh, wherein, you know, the, the real solution begins again. Bridle the tongue. Understand that just because words are being thrown about doesn't mean it's good to join. And then if I'm going to join, the power of my religion is that I can be God in that place, not by myself, but as the extension of the body of Christ, which is his church, as the tongue, which repeats in quotes what God's word has surely said, and so indeed an ambassador, a witness, a testifier, a Christian. No, no we're not God by ourselves, but no, we've been taken into the body of God. It's kind of amazing. It's a miracle. It's a mystery. Yeah? And it, it is changing our tongues. So from there, I want to look back at the Deuteronomy text, okay? So you know, he admonishes us to go to the law of liberty. He says, look, the Old Testament's not about keeping codes, right? It isn't about are you circumcised? It isn't about how do you cut up the goat with its fatty portions so that it's right for the priests and blah, blah. Like, that stuff happened. That's a record of the history of the coming of Jesus Christ. But this law of liberty is to be your book, Right? Can I, can I talk metaphorically for a moment? It's like a book of spells, all right? Now, let's understand. Magic's evil, okay? So the metaphor will collapse if you push it too hard. Uh, if you get into fantasy, you know, stories, uh, not quite Star Wars, but Star Wars sums up fantasy pretty well, uh, you find there's always kind of magic in fantasy, and, and they have all these clever ideas they come up. I think one of my favorite uh, books ever, it involved taking color out of things to make music that made the magic happen. It was, it was neat how that was all contrived. Um, but, you know, there are different ways people run magic in their stories. Some of them it's like, you know, I just channel nature, right? Like I'm the lightning guy, right? And I got it. Pfft, there goes my magic. Maybe I'm a mutant, right? But it's still kind of magic. Um, then you got the ones that are more like, I got to go learn from somebody, right? You'll teach me the hand motions and then we can do it. So you're apprentice to magic, okay? Um, in in some stories, the idea of the wizard, and really where the idea of the wizard first came from, is quite different than the sorcerer who's just born with power shooting out of him. The wizard is, is not really a guy who does magic. Okay, you, you got to understand this. It's, all the wizard does is he speaks truth so truly that everybody just obeys him. 
That's why a wizard can make the lightning shoot down is because he just knows how to talk to it. Now, again, this is, this is silly. You're not going to talk to the I don't think you're going to talk to the lightning. But notice the word wizard is also rooted in the word wisdom, too. So what the wizard does is he studies truth so much that he knows how to use it for good or evil. I guess he could be a bad wizard, right? He'd be evil wizard. But he knows how to use it for good. And here's the thing about wizards then. They generally don't just shoot magic. They don't even just do spells. They have to like go and study this week to learn what they're going to say. They'll forget if they don't put it back in. If they work on memorizing this spell, well, the other one can't be remembered because it's a lot of work. And you know what? If you try that with the Bible, it works. If you start thinking of the Bible as the verses, as uh, not spells, but power from God that you can just throw out in the world, a seed made of God's ever-living essence, and you can just shoot it out in the world, right? Like one of those guns at the stadium event, shooting the t-shirt way out there. You can take that word, and you can just throw it out in the world, and it will do good. But which words are you going to take? Once Solomon gives you nine psalms, It binds us together with similar words. The taking a step up in your personal devotion is recognizing you're going to have your own path too. You're going to build your own framework of what you study. You're going to learn what you learn in the Bible so that you can confess and witness and testify and just be a Christian wherever you go. But then again, this is what's so great. That means you get to choose. You don't have to wait for someone else to tell you what parts of the Bible to memorize and talk about all the time. Just pick the ones that mean the most to you. Of course, your confirmation verse is a great way to practice. If you've never done this, right, this idea that I'm pitching at you, start with your confirmation verse. Memorize it in English and see if you can work it into a conversation once a week. Just work it into a conversation once a week. You have learned how to be a wizard with the Bible. You got your first spell, Harry. There you go. All right. Now, how many can you learn and how much can you, in fact, be the wizard who walks into every room held high and they say, what this, why this? And you're like, oh, well, the Proverbs say. Because you know, because that's who you are. In fact, you don't even have to be all pious and be like, the Proverbs say. You can just tell them. Yeah, if you don't plow the field, then the weeds are going to grow. Right? And, uh, you know. It starts to come out that way. It's beautiful. Yeah. Now, Deuteronomy envisions this. In chapter 6, starting at verse uh, 7 and following, which says, again, the the second speaking of the law through Moses, the second giving of God's revelation of salvation through Moses, Deuteronomy, he says, uh, verse 7, you shall teach them, he called it the commandments, the statutes, the judgments, just here it is, everything that's written down in the Bible. And that, that really is what it means for us. You shall teach the Bible diligently to your children. And shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets before your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. So the picture envisioned there, you can take it super literally and be like, well, all Christians have to have art with Bible verses on it or else. I mean, Like, it probably wouldn't hurt us to have more Bible verse art, honestly. But, like, it's not there to be a checklist. And the moment you start making checklists out of the Bible, you you basically turn your back on grace, okay? Grace means no more checklists. Grace means walk forward in trust. 
And as you do it, realize there's nowhere in your life you can go that the word of God doesn't matter. That's the point here. When you get up, it matters. When you eat, it matters. When you're on the road, it matters. Uh, what were the last ones there? A little more nerve wracking, right? Uh, oh, on your hand. In your hand, it matters. Before your eyes, it matters. Um, to have the word of God be your guide, guard, and truth is going to impact you everywhere you go. I think most American Christians don't find that as their experience, and I don't really even think it's your fault, our fault. I think it's been done to us. I think that we didn't realize, starting, I don't know, sometime around electricity, how much these cool things were just going to take our time. They kind of promised to save time, right? But I'm pretty sure everybody was calmer 100 years ago, generally, you know, just generally. Less going on, right? More time. Uh, so to redeem your time, uh, to see how valuable it is throughout your day to have these stories that come at you from everywhere else, and, and they're there. You're not going to avoid them. You're not going to stop hearing the news. You can try. It's still going to get to you. But to have that beacon and anchor in all of that, the word that never passes away, right? What is the news this week? It's called wars and rumors of wars, right? We have a Bible verse about this, right? And don't be surprised by these things. It's the beginning of birth pains. We, we can know where we stand in history because it is clearly revealed and it's everywhere in our life that matters. So don't make it about how, well, I, I have to talk with my kids at breakfast. I have to talk with my kids at lunch. I have to talk with my kids in the car. And this week, ah, Thursday, I forgot to talk in the car after practice. They're probably going to go to hell now. Like, that kind of hyper-anxiety over how you do things is just going to scare you. The idea here is, did you wake up? Is there a Bible? Are you going to go for a drive? You got two minutes, right? You going to sit down for dinner? You got three minutes? It's more like that. And you'll find that those moments of life breaking out of heaven into the darkness, oh, they... they they get bigger, they expand. So that you just start to have pebbles of God's word in your life and you want more and why wouldn't you, you know, carry your Bible you know, like a son of Solomon? Now, I really want to make sure we address verse five. Um, I hit it pretty hard in the first sermon too, so I, I don't want to over belabor the point. But it, it is one of these conundrums we got as, as modern Lutherans. And you know, if you listen to the stuff I do online, I do this show called A Brief History of Power uh, with Dr. Adam Kuntz. He's younger than me, but he's brilliant and uh, probably is on the path to some sort of leadership in Senate if Senate financially survives. That's another story. But I would imagine uh, he's leading a lot of the younger pastors already just by his voice. And we talk about the challenges that it, it takes to be a Christian in America, but also, you know, we're coming at that as Lutherans, we're both Lutherans, and kind of the, the big summary takeaway of, of all of it from several years of us talking is that we just don't realize that we never really did translate our stuff into English. Like we're all here worshiping in English. We think we are, but we're not. We're here at divine service. We're not at worship. And we keep trying to teach that to everybody. 
that there isn't worship, there's divine service, that there isn't this, there's this. And we're like splitting these hairs of language, which unfortunately makes us almost non-understandable to everybody else who's a Christian. They, they don't know what we're talking about a lot of the time. Because we sound like, you know, uh, Latin scholars, practically. Um, and so you have that challenge that impacts a lot of things, especially given that the Bibles that we have to read, whether it's the New King James, whether it's the ESV, whether it's the Message, or what have you, all of these Bibles that we have to read were not translated by Lutherans who have an ear for law and gospel, which means that the word law isn't really being protected from meaning something other than what we say when we teach, for example, law and gospel. And what do we teach when we teach law and gospel? Well, that there are two words from God. One condemns you, one saves you, right? The law, it tells you how the world is, but when you judge yourself rightly by it, you find out that you are condemned, even though it still is a good thing. That was all three uses of the law, curb, mirror, guide, very quickly. And the gospel, a promise from God that Jesus has saved you, it's good news, it's a declaration, it cannot be taken away. And we believe that the Bible teaches these distinctions between works and promise, right? But does every time the Bible uses the word Torah or law, is that what it's getting at? And the answer is no. And then go a level deeper, if you will. Does every time the Bible say, do this, are you supposed to say, the second use of the law teaches me that I cannot, but Jesus saves me anyway, so I won't worry about it. I don't think that's what you're supposed to say when Moses says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart. I don't think it's there for you to say, I can't do that. Now, we can, we can be nitpicky on Judgment Day. If you're going to stand justified based upon what you did, you can't do that. That's true. But that, Moses isn't talking about Judgment Day. He's talking about like your family life. Just kind of like what you want to do today. Right? And so what do you want to do? Well, try loving Jesus with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. Of course, you'll find that you fail if you're trying to live up to perfection, but you'll also find that faith is there when the word of God is there and that this is peace. Of course, I don't have enough strength to love God, but I can love him with every last ounce that I have. And I can know the only reason that ever happens is because he did it. I mean, it all founds on election. You're chosen by grace alone to believe these words, which involve your own regeneration that does involve waking up to think about it, talk about it, and act like it. Yeah. Discipleship. So you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. The reason why Jesus quotes this as the greatest commandment is not for it to be dismissed, but for it to be something that's kind of simple. You go, oh, all God really wants for me today is for me to trust him. That's kind of, it's kind of freeing, really. You think about it. I, I don't have to do more. And the cynic's like, well, of course you got to go to work. Right? Otherwise the bread won't show up. Okay, but, but that's not the promise of the gospel, actually. The promise of the gospel is that you don't have to do anything more. Now, if your duty compels you to go to work and get some food to share with people, that's great. Do it. But it doesn't have anything to do with whether or not God loves you. God loves you. That's the truth. Jesus is the proof. It's for all people. He gives liberally and without restraint. This is the fact of who he is to you. And so, again, I encourage you to not be ashamed of wanting to love the Lord your God, Jesus, with all your heart, even when you find that you can't. 
And to wake up every day with that kind of heart, a desire that you have, that you would ask God to fill your heart, to change your heart, to soften your heart. Yeah. And so again, next week, as we look at charity, understanding that God's love for us is the great reality that never passes away, it also means we will look like that. We will want to be charitable to others and will be confused when others are not. Why, why is the world so distressing to Christians right now? You look out and you're like, how could they do that? How could these people be that way? Well, they don't have any charity because they don't have any truth. Right? And so there's no trust. These, these souls of the Reformation, they're not just random things, right? Just they happen to be what the Bible's about. They are very, very appropriate to our life. And so if you would walk with confidence, then knowing the truth of the scriptures will give you the platform. Trusting it is the life. And charity is where it came from and what it will result in. And you may just know these things. You may believe this to be true. And then seeking again to love Jesus with all that you are. And for that then, for our closing this morning, um, we're going to look at the intro, which is Proverbs 3. And you can, you can look at it there, but I'm going to use a couple of the verses from around it in Proverbs 3. So if you want to find your way to Proverbs in your pew Bible um, or in your, your personal Bible, I think I have. Nope, I don't have it. Proverbs 3 in your pew Bible is going to be page 528, 529 as well. Um, and again, your pew Bible is ESV. I'm using my, my King James, New King James up here in the, in the pulpit for the moment. And, you know, if you have the intro in front of you in the, in the bulletin, that's fine too. We'll start there with verse five. Um, you heard Doug quote it. You want to add a Bible verse to your repertoire of spell slinging? Yeah. Uh, it's a nice one. Trust in Jesus with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. It's pretty straight up quick to memorize, and it will work in almost any conversation. What problem can someone say with that is not the answer? There it is. Right? Let it be on your mouth to yourself sometime. You'll find it's powerful. Trust in Jesus. Lean not on your own understanding. Let me, let me throw one fun. If you're, if you're the nerd who loves the epistemology, ontology, how do we know what we know talk, um, that kind of thing, you're looking for certainty and uh, the philosophy of knowledge, this is pretty cool. So to lean not on your own understanding means to not understand. I think what a lot of Christians struggle with about Christianity when they admit it is that they don't understand something. There's some part of it that doesn't make sense. You don't understand. And the beauty of Christianity is you don't have to. You don't have to understand the Trinity. You don't have to understand the resurrection. You don't have to understand the Lord's Supper. Trust in Jesus, lean not on your own understanding. And then in this way, you don't have to understand, but you get to walk with understanding. And you get to walk with Jesus who is understanding. Yeah. Trust in him. In all your ways, acknowledge him. He'll direct your path. So, no, you give your life to Jesus. Why? Because he called you, right? This isn't your decision for Christ. Uh, this is the fact that Christ called you. And so you now, I will choose to, cho to chase him. Yeah. And you commit your life to him, then you may know because he is your God, because he's called you out of darkness into light, that your path's going to be straight. I mean, it may wind through the woods, but you stay on the path, turn not to the right or to the left, trust in Jesus, it's going to work out. There's nothing in your way. That's, that's what the verse means. It has a nice warning in verse 7. We didn't sing this part. So, so since God's going to direct your path, don't be wise in your own eyes. 
Since you're going to walk a path that you know God has left for you, well, then when his word says, don't walk that way, well, then don't walk that way again. Fear Jesus, it says, which is trusting him. Fear Jesus and depart from evil. It will be health to your flesh and strength to your bones. There's even temporal promises connected to this. Uh, But I want to go back to um, verses 1 through 4 here first, where it says, you know, my son... Do not forget my law. Again, you know, put aside law and gospel for the moment and understand this is the Bible. Right? As Solomon's writing this, he's re- probably writing it to Rehoboam. Yeah, and so he means all the Bible that came before him. And Torah particularly. Right? Do not forget my Torah. Let your heart keep my commands. But for us now, this is the whole Bible. And now here's the promise. Length of days and long life and peace they'll add to you. Again, take James at his word. Don't look with a double mind. It says it. Look into the scriptures and length of days, long life and peace, they will add to you. That's not an if then. That's not you got to earn it. That's just, do you want to be full then eat? When you eat, you will be filled. And what Christianity fills you with is peace. Peace, shalom, contentment is another New Testament way of talking about that. It's, it's not like I feel good all the time. It, it's that even when I don't feel good, I know who I know and I know where I'm going, right? So you will have this contentment even in length of days, right? Is length of days always a good blessing? No, not always. But length of days, eternal life. Can I, can I drive it home loud enough? You're never going to die. You're never going to die. Your body will look like it dies, but you will fall asleep. You are never going to die. Length of days and long life and peace are yours in the name of Jesus Christ. Uh, and so, uh, let not mercy or truth forsake you. There's that, uh, if you want law gospel, grace and, and uh, natural law there. Bind them to your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. So find favor and high esteem in the sight of God and man. Um, there's that heart thing, right? Love the Lord your God with all your heart. Write the words of Jesus on the tablet of your heart, and you will find favor and high esteem in the sight of God and man, right? When you write on your heart, Jesus is my Savior. Jesus loves me. I can't die. That has an impact. <laughs> it does. Uh, and then uh, when you when you write on your heart what charity really is, Right. What the love of others really is. Um, what it means to be unified in a covenant with a God who is for you and not against you. Again, who can take these things from you? No one. Not even your death. And certainly not the devil and his accusations. Certainly not your flesh. Uh, to, just to close out the back end here of, of Proverbs 3 that we started. You know, verse 9 and 10 are definitely appropriate for stewardship thinking, if we're going to talk about that. Uh, Honor Jesus with your possessions, with the first fruits of your increase, so your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. Uh, I mean, I'm pretty sure that you can't outgive God. Like, that's a good way to look at it. But what this is really getting at here is contentment again. Like, Like, so you have so much, you get so much, and when you just give a portion of it away because it's good to do it, you're kind of forced to be okay with it. And that's a form of training for contentment. So by giving stuff away, sacrificing, you literally become more content with what you have, and you can't avoid that. And so to honor God with your possessions is to find that you have plenty 
when you go to get what you need. It isn't to promise you're going to have a bigger barn and you can build a bigger barn and then a bigger barn. It doesn't say that. It says that when you go to your vat, there's going to be oil. When you go to the wheat barrel, there will be wheat. When you need the wine, there will be wine. Why? Because Jesus Christ is your God. And daily bread isn't something he withholds from, from anybody, especially those who ask. And you ask. You're more than asking. Your sons sent out into the darkness as pillars and beacons of light to have tongues that learn the discipline of praising and praying and giving thanks in all circumstances, calling on the name of Jesus because you know he is true. He is true. And while the rest of the world wants to tear itself down, we'll see what they do this week. The Bible is going to endure. And that's where we stand here at St. Paul. In the name of Jesus. Amen.